Yes, you're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. Come with us now as we explore the mysteries of... Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Andy Ford. I'm Andy Beacon. Good. I'm glad to hear that. No pod people then in your life. Not right. today. I put them to bed. Literally, I put them to bed. I read them a bedtime story. They're all snuggled up. They'll be fine for next week. Waiting sleep. <laughs> oh, that was a deep dive. It got, got me thinking, actually, when I did the uh, Come With Me Now, that always used to be my worst favourite introduction to uh, uh, to any sort of corporate films when I used to work in corporate films. It used to be, Come With Me Now as we explore double glazing. Or Come With Me Now as we explore... And I once saw William Shatner do it on the beginning of some mystery program. And I just thought, that's the corniest line ever. Come with, <laughs> Come me, with now. me now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're looking a lot a lot uh, more full of life this week. <laughs> than last week. Yeah. Anything could have made me more full of life than, than last week. Though saying that, yesterday, her indoors and myself, uh, it was a, a Christmas present that she got last Christmas. That needed using which was a cocktails mixing day mm. so two hours of learning to mix cocktails which initially i thought was going to be a bit dull but i had the time of my life you tend to find that those kind of event days they're so well planned and so well organized that no matter what your preconceptions are towards them you go along and you actually find out oh actually this is polished unless it's one that's run by like contestants on the apprentice when they inevitably get there like oh, celebration yeah. days that you have to do, which always fall apart. But, you know, they're the, the, the done in a way because they must know that there's loads of people go, oh, I've been given this thing as a present that I don't really want. And so they, they tailor them to be really, really good events. I, I drank probably more yesterday. I didn't have much to drink, but cocktails, blimey. And the one I made was, uh, I think, a little a little bit overboard on, on stuff that I put into it. But yeah, I had a really good day with it. But I was I was dazzled by four. We got home. It was like, I can't believe it's only five o'clock. I'm ready for bed. <laughs> Meanwhile, here's, here's me just spending the week watching trash on TV. And in particular, I've, I've been digging through the trash on Amazon again. I've used that term before. And I'd like it's basically that there's so much, so much junk buried in the Amazon algorithm that every now and then I'll browse through until I see something that's like, oh, that looks like utter trash. I need to watch it. And uh, this week, <laughs> Amazon did the work for me because they actually like promoted something on my feed of like, you might be interested in this. And it's a film called The Scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw you post that. And I didn't want to read it because I just thought it might be too personal when you posted it on Facebook. <laughs> so I, I backed away. It's a low-budget um, horror movie. You surprised me. To... <laughs> Be fair to them, you know, that for the it's one of those micro budget ones where literally they had no money and they've just put stuff together. They've done all right with the effects work on it. But I mean, the, the fact that my review just read out as um, <laughs> shows what frame of mind it was by the end of it. Amazon Prime has some right bollocks buried in their library and I must <laughs> be nuts to expected more from this. I knew I wouldn't have a ball with it, but I wish I'd sacked it off. And that just set the tone. Um, it was it was it was trash. But. It was enjoyable trash. <laughs> and I don't know why I do this to myself, but, you know, you, you I'm going to continue digging through the trash on Amazon. I've never had the intention of ever wanting to produce anything that was that micro budget. I know it's a it's a calling card for a lot of people, but 
well, they say that, but I'm, I'm sure the production team behind that particular movie aren't going to go on to set the world on fire. I've never had that desire to do a zero-budget movie. Low-budget movies, yeah. I've written a couple of them, but I've never had the desire to, to do something that's that's sort of like just zero trash. I could if I wanted to, but I just have no desire. Never interested me. I've got, I've got to thank you, actually, for a recommendation. Oh, what's, what's the recommendation? I watched, um, I watched Talk To Me last night. Isn't that just a great horror? Yeah, I, I was kind of waiting. I'm thinking, I'm not buying it for the first sort of 20 minutes and then the uniqueness of it caught up with yeah. me. I, I don't think I loved it as much as you did, but I thought it was a very clever uh, and different idea. And, uh, um, you know, when everybody complains about watching horror films that are just repetitive, you know, you know the beats, et cetera, et cetera, this, this proved yeah. them wrong. Yeah, it, it plays nicely with what your conventions of the, that genre are and what you ex, your expectations are. And then really like flips it around and, yeah, makes you look at it from a different way. I'm, I'm interested in the fact that they're going to be doing a prequel and apparently a sequel uh, to okay. the film to pad out just like the story. different characters. I don't yeah. ever want to revisit the characters that were in it. I'd like to see. Yeah, I'd like to see the world being told. And yeah. that's what makes it this work is that this felt like it was a personal family drama kind of yeah. story in a horror aesthetic, and you can adapt that to different groups of people who come into contact with this hand. A great film. Um, it's it's one of my favourite horror films of recent years. But will it make my top 10 list for the end of the year? That's another matter altogether. Yeah, which we've got to start thinking about, to be honest. Well, I've got 10 films jostling for position in my top five. So it's going to be interesting once we get to our end of year show when we talk about our top films that I'm going to... I might end up stretching the rules a bit just to do lots of like honourable mentions. So it'll be like a 14-hour show as I talk through all the films that I've watched this year. <laughs> but this week, in one of the films that I'll be reviewing later in the show, which is Saltburn, in the first five to ten minutes of it, we are told directly on screen that Barry Keegan's character is... that yeah, We see that he's a socially awkward person who's a student in a new town and knows no one and doesn't know how to connect with people. But mm -hmm. it's then revealed that he comes from Prescott, Merseyside. And at that point in the film, I was, hang on a minute, he's a scouser with some Irish heritage from Prescott, Merseyside, who feels socially awkward and has gone to a new town to study. I feel so seen. I, I am finally represented on screen. And I was just like, oh my God, why Prescott? Why has Emerald Fennell chosen Prescott? No one knows where Prescott is. Whenever I've said I'm from Prescott, people look at me with a blank expression and I have to say, you know where Nosley Safari Park is? Yeah, it's there. No one knows okay. Prescott. All right. I know where Nelson Safari Park is. I just felt so. I, I just felt like that was me. I, admittedly, how the film progresses, I started to go. Actually, this doesn't represent me anymore. I'm not going to give any spoilers now, and I won't give any spoilers in the review. But okay. um, it was it was just nice at the start of a film to have something which is just like, well, I know that, and that feels like something that I can relate to, and it connected me straight away with the character. So I, I started to care from that point onwards because. Anyone from Prescott, I'm going to care for you. Well, I think that might have uh, might have influenced me through our social challenge question. Let's talk about last week's social challenge. So yes. I said, anybody listening, Bueller, 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 <laughs> any phrases, terminology that you picked up from a film that you use in your everyday syntax? How did we do? Personally, I initially struggled with this because I was like, I can't think of any. But then over the week, 
I found myself dropping lines of dialogue into conversation and quickly taking my phone out to make notes. So it turns out I can pretty much hold a whole conversation in movie quotes. <laughs> um, but sweeping around our social channels uh, to see what response we get. Via Spotify, Ben said that the first thing that comes to mind isn't a line from a film. But if I ever find myself parting with someone, probably for a while, I always like to say, I'll see you in another life, which is from Lost. Okay. Stephen Young um, quotes Star Wars with stuff like almost there and stay on target from the trench run in Star Wars and New Hope, which he tends to use when he's getting close to finishing a shift or when he's doing a creative project of art and like he's he's getting close to the end of it. And yeah, I've used the stay on target quite frequently. I think there's a few Star Wars ones that I'll mention as my one towards the end of this. I've realized that I use quite a lot. Over on X Twitter, Storm of Crows said, a person is smart, people are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Oh, what's that from? Which is from Men in Black, spoken by Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, good. Over on Mastodon, (laughs) Blender Dumbass said, I did not. Oh, hi, Mark, which is from The Room. Excellent. Over on Blue Sky, Apple Park Films, Jake's Equipment, Don't Crap Out, from Jaws the Revenge. And I'm pretty sure that Apple Park Films is the only person to remember anything from Jaws the Revenge, (laughs) let alone quote it. So kudos to you. And also, See You When I See You from the Delta Force, which I think I don't use See You When You See You. But I tend to use, um, I mean, being a big fan of The Prisoner, I tend to use seeing you using the hand gesture at the same time. It's things like that. It's the parting comments and the like greetings that you get from films that I think are going to be the most prominent ones that people use. I know that over on Threads, you you just reiterated your Bueller, Bueller, and that will never grow old for me. I do it. I do it every time I'm teaching and no one's listening. Bueller, Bueller, and they don't get it. Love it. Over on Facebook, on my main page, uh, Lee Christopher Leary takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. I'm not a big man. Fletch lives. And also, and I, I referenced this last week, I'd buy that for a dollar from RoboCop. And that this is because both me and Lee are huge fans of RoboCop. And we can we can basically recite the whole script between us. <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, I didn't even realize that I, I was using it. But yes, I do. Yeah. If, if we're ever in the same room together, me and Lee, you can guarantee there's going to be RoboCop references constantly. Over on our actual Facebook film file page, James Bryan, you're a dead man in an Irish voice. Or get the case the Russians are making and move on the case, the case now, from the film Ronin. Um, him and his son quite often do it. Okay. And he's also posted a gif of a shot from Snatch. Do you like dags? I realised at that point that I tend to quote Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels lines quite a lot. So, I mean, one that I've even used this week, and then sort of went, oh, yeah, I do quote this a lot, is like, it's a deal. It's a steal. It's sale at in century. In fact, keep Nick, I think I'll keep it. And also, in the quiet words of the Virgin Mary, come again. Uh, but the most frequent one from Lockstock, etc., that I've used in this past year is the, he's a fucking liability. <laughs> I, I, that drops out of my mouth every day at work for some reason. Uh, Patricia Meakin, she doesn't think she comes out with quotes from films, but she certainly randomly comes out with songs for situations. And yes, this is something that I've inherited that I can just start singing relating to a situation because my mum has brought me up doing this through my whole life. No matter what people say, she can turn it into a song. Okay. It's a it's a knack. I do it to my daughter like all the time that I'll just suddenly start singing. Whenever she starts talking about something, I'll suddenly break out in song. An actual song that you can fit to that moment. Uh, Lindsay's story, and this is another one which sparked my memory. 
Uh, she posted the clip from Goldmember. How about no? Which um, I usually do when I'm sat in the office and someone asks a question and I'll wheel across on the chair in the same way that he does and just go, how about no, you crazy Dutch bastard? <laughs> and I also use zip it and I'll go through the whole zip it routine. Zip it, zip it, zip it, zip it. Hello, I'm Zippy Longstockings. Whenever I want someone to just be quiet for a minute. And um, also, I've been known to use get in my belly. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Whenever like, there's a nice plate of like a big roast dinner in front of me, I'm like, oh, get in my belly. Uh, Lindsay Story also added the absolutely not with the F word in from Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which she finds herself saying nearly every day. Owen Cooper, you serious? Spoken by J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man film. Uh, oh, yeah, good one. Tends to use a lot for comedies and uses the voice, voices like, gosh, and the deep sigh from um, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Also always says Night Sind as Doofy from Scary Movie to my mum and brother before going up to bed. And another I use quite a bit is I Took Care of It from Dumb and Dumber, which are great picks. I mean, I, I pointed out to Owen at that point that I struggled at the start of this week, but realised each day that I'm quoting films to everyone. Owen said that they struggled at first, but and had to reach into every comedy that they've ever seen because that's where they take most from. Another quote would be that, uh-huh, when, Re when Regan says she moved to the draw in Exorcist, for some reason that noise always gets me. Lindsay also asked, like, suggested to Owen, what about Not My Tempo, which gets slung, slung about on a daily basis. That's that's become one of mine recently. <laughs> that's being added into your lexicon. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and her example of it, and I need to draw a reference to this, and she will now be listening to the episode and chuckling away because she knows I'm going to pull. I'm got. You can't poke this bird without me responding. Her example of how she how she uses it. Donnie Darko isn't my tempo, and that's okay. too far. And Owen agrees with me. It's too far. She's pushed it too far. Sorry, Lindsay, at some point, I'm going to work out how we can do an AI algorithm so that when you try to listen to the show, it's just blank noise. Everyone else can listen to it perfectly, but we're going to stop you from listening to the show if you keep this up. This is war. <laughs> uh, mine isn't, and I'm surprised no one's mentioned it, we're going to need a bigger boat, but reference that in different ways. We're going to need a bigger train. We're going to need yes. a bigger plane, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Uh, it is one that, I mean, I use that frequently. And from Pulp Fiction, just because you've got character doesn't mean you are a character. Now, regular listeners to the show who particularly listen to the outtakes will know that I have a fascination with quoting Arnie. And I usually do the daft voice. And in particular, one that gets used every week when we're recording is stick around. Yes. Lee even now goads me into saying it because he knows that I'm going to say it at some point. Uh, but there's a loads of Arnie quotes like uh, get through the chopper and um, you're not sending me to the cooler that I will use all the time because I can do the voice. And I think that's what makes it even better is I just do the voice yeah. and people know what I'm doing. I've got the no show Connery one, which I use all the time is yes. <laughs> this week, while I've been taking notes, whenever I've done something and I've gone, oh my God, there's an example. I gave things like, you know, the lock stock examples that I've said before. Borat, I will be known to say great success <laughs> when something works out well. I did it three times this week after fixing projector issues that come down to the boss and went, great success, all works. <laughs> <laughs> Another Arnie one, no problemo. I tend to use quite frequently. Austin Powers. I used to use that one. That's one I, I don't anymore, but did, did use a lot. <laughs> Both myself and Dave at work, whenever it's going for a cigarette break, it's smoking the pancake. Use the force, Luke. 
whenever see whenever someone's struggling with something, I will tend to just go use the force. Look, I thought it smelled bad on the outside. Is generally used if someone farts near me. <laughs> I thought it smelled bad on the outside. Um, and Scott threw in a RoboCop one this week at work. <laughs> he says he tries not to use it much because people take it the wrong way. But from RoboCop, I mean, he's got the buy. I'll buy that for a dollar. But he also tends to go, bitches leave. Which uh, he just says he needs to be careful what company he's in because he doesn't want people to misunderstand what he's saying. You'll find, anyone who's a film fan will find that we all do it. And I'm pretty sure that over this next week, I could be ending up writing a list of about 40 more that I regularly use because I am so influenced by film that it is formed. It's formed my conversational lexicon. It does, doesn't it? I mean, that's because we're film geeks and that's our starting point for most things is dialogue. Yeah. I, I, my mind is whirling with all the ones that I use. We could, could be here forever, but we're not going to be because I'm going to... Uh, you've inspired me for this week's question. I'm going to go for that. So you said films that see you. Yeah. And you mentioned Saltburn because it picks up a part of your life. I'd <laughs> like to think mine would be something like the right stuff. But I'm going to go with High Fidelity because mm. I was. I was that guy in High Fidelity. So that's the film that see me. But what film do you does reflect who you are when you watch it? Is it High Fidelity? Is it? It'd be worrying if it was Hannibal, for instance. <laughs> that would scare me. Well, American like Psycho. <laughs> I've, I've generally said that I'll happily give everything a first try of eating. So uh, maybe <laughs> Hannibal is mine. <laughs> so let us know here at The Film File. And all you have to do is this. Head on over to social media channels. We usually post out the question of the week on the Wednesday. Answer it, answer it on there. If you want to jump the gun and get ahead of the social media channels, email us over the answer, podcast at filmfile.uk. Or once the show goes live on Spotify, the question will be connected to it there and you'll be able to answer via Spotify as Ben and Stephen have come to understand. Excellent. Let's get on with this week's show. What do we have for you in the film file? Well, we've got a deep dive into... A 1963 comedy classic, a long comedy classic. Yes, we're going to be talking about It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. We're reviewing this week, not so much in sticking around in movies, because Andy's going to be talking about Saltburn. We're also going to be talking about Monarch, that landed on Apple TV+, and Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, that I binge-watched the whole lot in one night. Did you? Yes. Well, I'm going to chuck in Invincible, then. It's a nice TV roundup this week. But before that, we've got the box office and we've got the news. So from looking across the trades, no one took our advice on Marvels or the good word of mouth that has been brewing on it because it had an 80% drop off this week. The highest drop off of any Marvel movie. It's not going to do it, is it? We're not going to preach to the unconverted on this one. No, um, I'll go through the full run through in a moment, but just to pick up on that thing, I've, I've witnessed this week at work a group of a group of people coming in this weekend to watch a film who one of them, who I'm not going to say that he was definitely an incel, but he had that kind of demeanor to him pointed okay. towards the images of Captain Marvel that we had. I went, oh, guys, apparently that's a load of rubbish. And no one should watch it. Apparently, it's a load of rubbish. They were going to see Ballads of Songbirds and Snakes, which has scored lower on um, audience and critic responses online. But this film that scored better is a load of rubbish. I 
can't quite make out what it was that was upsetting him about the fact that it was mm. a film. But that's what I've seen that. And I've seen a few other examples of that either online or in real life where people are like, oh, well, I've heard it's rubbish. It's like, why are you paying attention to reviews when normally you don't pay attention to reviews? And this is the problem. People are now so into this hating on something that they've not seen that they now have to use the justification that, well, uh, there's other people didn't like it as well. It's like, yeah, but you've not seen it, so you can't judge. And the sad thing is that when you're seeing people responding to it, the people who've actually seen it are responding saying, this was actually fun. This was great. Yes. This was marvellous. But there's a wealth of people who start saying it's garbage. When they get questions like, well, have you seen it? It's like, no, but it looks rubbish. It's like, we'll stop commenting. The hate campaign around this film is ridiculous. And I know Brie Larson's come out and spoken about the hate campaign about it. And Nia DaCosta has said that there's a certain sector of community who are hating on it. And the sad thing is the people who that's directed at are not the people who dislike the film. If you saw the film and you didn't like it, that's one thing. But it's the people who are hating on it without watching it that she's attacking here. And if you feel attacked by her comments, maybe you're the problem. Because I know people who didn't like the film who aren't feeling attacked by her saying that the haters are hating on it for no reason at all, except for obvious racial and sexist, misogynistic aspects. I think you pretty much summed it up. I've got a friend who went to see it, hardened cynic, uh, has not been happy with the recent Marvel releases, starting with Eternals for him. And he said, should I go and see it? And I went, yeah, honestly, it made me laugh. I think it's, I think it's enjoyably, it is silly. But it's, it's fun. fun, silly. Yeah. And came back and he went, you know what? So glad. An hour and a half of my time that I, I had such a great time with. I giggled and laughed all the way through. It's not going to break even at this rate. It's completely sunk off. Oh, what a shame. So going through the US, the, the box office roundup. So in the US, Hunger Games, Ballads of Songbirds and Snakes flies into the top spot, taking 44.6 million this weekend. Trolls Band Together is in second place, taking 30 million. Thanksgiving is on 10.3 million, taking third place. The Marvels plummets down to fourth place, taking only 10.1 million this weekend in the US. And Five Nights at Freddy's, 3.6 million, holding into the fifth place. In the UK, Hunger Games, again, straight in at the top spot, 5.4 million this weekend. The Marvels in second place, 1.25 million. Tiger 3 is in third place with 1.18 million, Salt Burn in fourth place with 841,000, and Trolls Band Together in fifth place with 734,000. Hunger Games in its opening weekend worldwide has taken just over 100 million. On around about 100 million budget, it looks set to be going into profit and showing that there is still some interest in the franchise. But as we've discussed, the Marvel's drop-off of around 80% on its second week is hugely disappointing. It's on 161 million worldwide after its first week and a half, and it looks like it's going to struggle to break even at all at this rate. All right, so that's the box office. Where are we news-wise? So Sagafra looks like it's all over, sealed, delivered. We can start talking about movies in production. And there's a lot. (laughs) We've got weeks and weeks to catch up on. There's been loads of news announcements and drops of projects that are getting into production um, this week. I'm going to start off with something that is pleasing for those of us who love TV, particularly who love Star Trek on TV, because Strange New Worlds Season 3 is now set to begin filming its third season again pretty soon. Production was halted when it was supposed to have started earlier this year, 
and it's laid fairly dormant with rotating plans in place so that they could quickly begin filming again once the strikes were over. Both strikes are over, and they're now ramping up the show's production base in Toronto, ready to start filming. Expected to start on December the 11th and run through to July next year, according to the listings. Hopefully, this means that by the back end of 2024, we get at least the first half of the new season of Strange New Worlds. So it, it won't be too long a wait because it was looking more and more like it was going to be shifting into 2025 for release or maybe even 2026. But now there's the hope that we'll get those first six episodes by late summer 2024. Can't wait. There's been some, of course, there's been some comic book casting news and rumours. Superman Legacy has cast Maria Gabrielle DeFaria as the villain the engineer not a character that i know a uh, member of the authority oh, uh, I... warren ellis and brian hitch came up with the character back in 1999 with powers that stem from nanotech which is built into her body yeah it's the first bit of new casting that's been announced for this film as now yeah we know that james gunn had the script ready before the writer's strike started and we know that yeah yeah as a producer he could start work behind the scenes on setting some things in motion until like the writer's strike and the actor's strike finished. So we yeah. were ready for him to just jump straight into it. They're still sticking with that expected release date in July 2025. So it's all a go. It also marks the first of the authority cast characters that have been cast. Because Not we characters I'm generally familiar with. Modern era, really, isn't it? And um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've I've dabbled, but I've not really delved into it. But because I've got the DC app for reading comics, I am going to delve through and get a bit more of a handle on these characters. But we do, you know, the casting for Superman anyway. I mean, David Sweat, Clark Kent, Superman. Rachel Brosnahan as uh, Lois Lane. Nathan Fillion as Guy Gardner, Green Lantern. Isabel Marsad as a um, Hawk Girl. Edie Gathagi as Mr. Terrific. And Anthony Carrigan as Rex Mason, Metamorpho. So it's stacked. I know that some people are saying that the engineer is going to be a like, the villain, but it's not. There's going to be a mixture of different villains across this thing it doesn't it doesn't seem like he's going to be doing one particular villain he's doing like a world building film which will probably yeah. have, you know it will it will have an underlying theme of a villains in the background somewhere i'm just excited to see what he what he does with it supergirl yeah. as well as also yeah. put on the table no casting announcement yet for that no but they've got the actress and playwright anna noguera who gave us the vampire diaries being set to pen the standalone feature supergirl woman of tomorrow now she was originally involved because she was quietly hired to pen a Supergirl movie when the plans were to develop as, as a spin-off of The Flash with um, Sasha Cal's take on the character. But now we know there's no future for that character. It, she's now coming back on board because they liked what she did and they thought that's the core essence of the character that we want to do. So they brought her back and apparently, and this was great news, and I'm sure you'll smile at this, it's going to be heavily inspired by Tom King's 2021 miniseries. Yeah. Which, which uh, you, brought, yeah. you brought as a neat thing to the show, and I, I agree entirely. It is the definitive Supergirl title. Gunn has said in a video that Superman's a guy sent to Earth, raised by loving parents, where Supergirl in this story, she's a character raised on a chunk of Krypton. She's watched everybody around her perish in some terrible way, so she's a far more jaded character. Okay, so over at Marvel, uh, it seems the big talking point is that Pedro Pascal is now in talks to be the MCU's Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four. So that wasn't on anybody's casting list at all. Mm. Previous people had Matt Smith, Jake Gyllenhaal, 
I know this big wasn't the Christopher Abbott and Jamie Dornan. Yeah, they were both on there. So and Adam Driver, uh, Pedro Pascal. Oh, Adam Driver. That was that was the big one. Yeah. So uh, it's still a rumor, but it's a rumor that seems to be building and getting traction. So I guess in the next couple of weeks we wait and see. Nobody else yet is confirmed. Just a whole bunch of rumors. Yeah, it's a more reliable scooper who's um, revealed the Pedro Pascal news. Uh, Jeff Snyder. He doesn't always get things right, but he's not as bad as some of the alleged scoopers there who are just regurgitating Reddit comments. Pedro Pascal, interesting choice. Like you say, no one would have had Pedro Pascal on the bingo card, but I, for one, I'm not disappointed if he does get it because he brings a lot to the role. I am seeing a lot of people who have already started being negative about it because, um, well, can only think that because he's not white American. Uh, because that's how they're coming yeah. across in their posts, and I think that's a shame that you have to you have to resort to that. But we're keeping it in pinch of salt corner until we report it at a later date. Jeff Snyder also adds that um, Vanessa Kirby remains widely tipped to be Sue Storm, and Joseph Quinn and Eben Moss Bacharach are still the hot favourites for Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm. Uh, also, Fantastic Four related, Javier Bardem is apparently being tipped to be playing Galactus. Keep a lot of salt okay. to hand for that one because, yeah. um, you know, Antonio, Antonio Banderas was previously tipped for the role, but Bardem is now reportedly the front runner. And Mads Mickelson has been in talks to play Doctor Doom. This is confirmed that he has been in talks, but so have many other people. So holds off on getting excited. But if Mads Mickelson did get a cast as Doctor Doom, then this film is just going to be an absolute gem. Stick with Marvel and the Thunderbolts. Invincible and Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman has let slip that Stephen Ewan is going to be playing in the Thunderbolts movie as Robert Reynolds, a.k.a. Sentry, who is considered one of the most powerful characters in the MCU. With a, It's basically an MCU Superman character. Immense strength, light speed, flight, and telepathic powers. Ewan voices the superhero Mark Grayson yeah. Invincible in the animated Invincible series, which has an interesting connection to Sentry in the comics. In the words of Robert Kirkman, my good friend Stephen Ewan is playing Sentry in the movie. I don't think this is a spoiler or anything that will get anyone in, in trouble. Mm, I think you might have just slipped out a bit of news there that Marvel <laughs> weren't expecting there. But, you know, we'll let you off. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I don't care. I don't work for Marvel. What are they going to do to me? He called me and said, I just came back from a costume fitting for Sentry. I guess I only do superheroes that wear blue and yellow. He, he's uh, been typecast now as a blue and yellow superhero. We already know that the Thunderbolts movie will also see Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Contessa Valentina. Allegra de Fontaine, Harrison Ford as Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, and it's being directed by Jake Schreier from a screenplay by Lee Sung and Eric Pearson. The film is still currently slated for July the 25th, 2025 release. Fingers crossed on that one. So we talked about this. It seems to be a goal. We know that uh, the John Wick, the Wickverse, is being developed. We've had the Continental, our first spin-off. We've got the Ballerina coming. So Chad Stelarski has revealed that Lionsgate wants him to develop a John Wick anime. So while promoting the Continental, while promoting the Continental, Stelarski opened up by talking about him developing the John Wick TV show so we could explore the high table with a little bit. That's what Lionsgate asked him to do. But what we're really excited about is a new spin-off because we're doing that and a Japanese anime because I love Japanese anime so much. So to create all the cool stories that anime could achieve better than we could on the TV show. 
uh, and there's been some sort of production image, whether it's a true one or whether it's a bit of AI, we don't know. But I think that's an interesting way to go. Yeah. The Wick films kind of take inspiration from anime. Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting that in order to portray more stories with it, you can divert off into anime to portray them. And I think it will fit. Update on news that we gave last week. So you remember last week we were talking about how Warner Brothers had axed the Coyote versus Acme film? Yeah, well, much to uh, much disappointment by cast, crew, and the composer who posted all over X Twitter that how disappointed he was, and the world in general, because there's been a huge wave of negative backlash, which has resulted in Warner's reversing their decision. They are no really? longer going to shelve it, and instead are shopping it around to other potential buyers. Latest news has it that Apple, Netflix, and Amazon are ready to enter a bidding war for this film. Seems a better idea. Yes. Um, I get a nagging suspicion that whoever gets it, one of those three streamers, will give it a limited cinema release, and Warner Brothers are going to realise how stupid they look when that makes money. Because everyone who I know, and everyone who I've spoken to online and in real life about the concept of Coyote versus Acme, was hugely disappointed at it being cancelled, because everyone was kind of like, I was really looking forward to that. I think this could have been the biggest mistake that Warners have ever made, but at least we're going to get to see it now in one way, shape or form. And Warners will get no money aside from the production costs covered. Well done, Zaslav. Another stupid decision by yourself that might benefit someone else. Caitlin Dever, who we last saw in No One Can Save You, is reportedly in talks to play Abby in season two of The Last of Us. Now, she was the big fan favourite to play Ellie, but of course she's she's, um, got a bit older now than sort of a 13, 14-year-old. So she could be playing Abby in season two. And what we've heard about season two is it's not necessarily going to play out as one season as per the game, because as you've, if you played the game, there are flashback moments into it to explore. We'll wait and see. Um, three films that are going into production pretty soon that we reported on way before the strikes, and then they either halted production or they hadn't got round to filming before it got, got stopped. First of all, Ridley Scott, whose Napoleon lands this coming week, is going to, is ready to jump straight back into production on the Gladiator sequel that he was filming in Morocco when the strikes hit. It's as soon as within the next two weeks that they are ramping up production again. He confirmed this in an interview with Deadline this week. Apparently, he's got half of the three-hour film already in the can. In his words, thank God it's over. We shot about 90 minutes. At least that's finished. It's really getting the sets cleaned up. They're already built. Just got another 90 minutes to go. And he didn't spend the downtime during the strike doing nothing either. He's been readying his next movie, which he plans to begin in March, which he, all he says on it is he prepped the film after Gladiator. I have a script finished to the extent that we've already pitched it to studios and I've already wrecked it. I use, use time to find out where I'm going to do it. So we don't know any details about what that film's going to be. But, you know, th- Ridley Scott is a powerhouse. He's in his, mid, in his mid-80s and he just doesn't yeah, slow down. And, and he still delivers spectacle. Hopefully, Napoleon's yes. going to deliver for both of us this week, but we'll find out. Um, Moana, the live action, which we spoke about earlier this year before all the strikes. Dwayne Johnson has now revealed that that is his immediate next movie. So they'll be ramping into production of that pretty soon. This is a live action take on the Disney film of recent years that maybe is a bit too soon for a live action take. But they're doing it so soon because Dwayne Johnson wants to portray the Maui character again. Uh, it's one of those that I've not seen, so I, I could, might even go into that one fresh. Uh, sticking with Disney, uh, Disney CEO Bob Iger has confirmed, even though Frozen 3 
hasn't been released yet that Frozen 4 is already in development at Disney Animation. Big surprise. They're clearly expecting huge box office success once again with Frozen 3 and are so confident that they feel that they can tell more stories. He's suggested that they, they already know what stories they want to do. It's not a case of like they're just churning stuff out. It's just that they've got ideas that they can use within that world. And why not greenlight it in advance? And Mortal Kombat 2 production has begun again on that sequel. Carl Urban t- um, posted an Instagram photo of himself alongside several other cast members outside a film set trailer, along with the caption, we're back, baby, MK2, let's go, love this cast. And I am so excited to see Mortal Kombat 2. I'm a huge, huge Mortal Kombat fan. Uh, you remember how I was getting excited as well about the Fall Guy movie being my birthday yeah. movie coming out on March the 1st? Well, it's moved. It's May the 3rd oh. now. I haven't I'm got dead. the Fall Guy for my birthday. However, at the same time, I then got the good news that Dune has decided to come out on March the 1st because they've yeah, now got the whole of March empty. So uh, my birthday next year is going to be spent on Arrakis with sandworms and uh, the Fremen. You should, you, you know what you should do, Andy, for your birthday is is rent the cinema out, just have your closest pals come in and we can just watch Dune Part 2 as a sort of a birthday celebration. It'd be great, but that would cost me a fair bit of money. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's All not right. cheap to rent out a cinema. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, that was that was a, an original birthday plan. I did it once before, as you remember. Yeah. Destin Daniel Cretton is no longer directing Avengers The Kang Dynasty. So it seems uh, there has been rumours that the Russo brothers have been enticed back, but that is clearly in Pinch of Salt Corner. Creed Four has been confirmed. Erwin Winkler has confirmed it this week that not only will Michael B. Jordan return to star, but he will also return to direct after delivering the fantastic directorial debut on the third Creed movie. Still to see it. It's it's visually visually beautiful. There's some great, unique choices used. You think you've seen every Rocky film. You think you've seen everything that can be done in a Rocky-esque kind of way. And then he comes along and he delivers a fight scene in the closing act of that. That is such a visual unique, it has such visual uniqueness to it that it makes you go, oh, there's still stuff that you can do with this genre that feels fresh. Well worth checking out, and I'm quite looking forward to Creed 4. And another bit of good news that came this week, you know that I've been saying pretty much every few episodes for the past few years that when are we going to get the Blu-ray 4K re- release of James Cameron's Abyss? Well, we know that James listens. We now have the confirmation that the 4K UHDs will be releasing, and again, it's my birthday next March, March next year. (laughs) And it's not just the Abyss. We are also getting True Lies and Aliens, all in 4K collector's editions, which will include brand new extras, deep dive conversations with James Cameron. He's called it Deep Dives. Where's he stolen that from? Um, And in the one regarding the abyss, he was going to address some of the myths behind the production with a whole new behind the scenes documentary look um, of that and a new documentary behind the scenes look at true lies as well. This sounds like even if you've already got the like DVDs packages of any of those films, this looks like it's going to be an absolute treat for Cameron fans and people who've been clamoring for him to restore and touch up. These three wonderful examples of why he's one of the best filmmakers on our planet. Indeed. For those who can't wait for that UHD release, you can buy the 4K digital versions from December the 12th. And all the extras will be included as part of the digital package that you purchase. So 
if you're happy with just streaming it, which personally I'm not because you de get a slight degradation through streaming, no matter how good your internet connection is, that you don't get when you have the disc. But if you can't wait, buy it on December the 12th on 4K digital streaming and, and treat yourself to all the extras at least. So a lot of trailer drops this week. Uh, should we go through them, Andy? Shall we we'll start with... Do you want to start with Madam Web? What a sticky web they've woven with that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know what? I got bored by the trailer. I got angered I bored by, by the trailer. trailer. I got angered because it looks like the villain is Ezekiel. And Ezekiel yeah. wasn't a villain. Ezekiel was trying to protect every spider totem character, be it Peter Parker, be it Silk, who he'd had like incarcerated in a building for her own protection from the inheritors and Morlan who were hunting them down. And it looks like this person who's wrote the script for this film has read a wiki page about J.M. Straczynski's <laughs> run on Spider-Man, but skimmed it and not paid attention that Ezekiel was kind of an anti-hero. He, he was a mentor to Peter Parker. He's not a villain character, but this trailer makes out that he's going around killing the spiders. That's Morlan. That's Morlan. If you want to use Morlan, just use Morlan. That that angered me enough. And then watching the rest of it, it just looks like it. It looks like a CW TV show budget. Yeah, my God, it that's what. Terrible. I, I don't know enough. I'm not invested in the character to be able to talk about it. But uh, I just it, thought it looked. It didn't look very expensive. It looked really. I thought the costume design looked really, really cheap. Uh, yeah. It looked like a TV movie, and, and maybe it should have been. That's perhaps would have done better on that. They've they've tried to do. They've tried to like do some like fan baiting nods like you know you got the black spider woman costume but it looks like a bad black spider woman costume mate if you're gonna do these nods make it look good and sony just have this grimy kind of look to their sony spider-verse that just feels cheap it's getting released in mid-february it might do some business generally a quiet time and maybe the lack of super products next year means that people will gravitate towards sony films but i am I, I was intrigued by the Madden Web film initially because I, I kind of got the concept. But now that I've seen the trailer, I've been turned off completely because it looks like they don't know what they're playing with. What did make me smile rather surprisingly this week, the Garfield trailer. Didn't see that one. Uh, um, I've been burnt by Garfield in the past. so. Well, yeah, same here. And, you know, after those ones that Bill, well, Bill Murray was burnt himself because he, he completely misunderstood who was actually directing the film. He thought it was one of the Coen brothers, but it wasn't. It was a uh, Cohen. Um, <laughs> but the Garfield animated movie, I slotted that trailer on this week, expecting to just go, uh, another reason to miss another Garfield thing. And it felt like Garfield. It felt like the comic strip that I used to love. It felt like the cartoon series that I used to love. I was chuckling pretty much throughout it. Chris Pratt voicing the character of Garfield. It, Chris Pratt just seems to be voicing every animated character these days. And well, I'm coming off the back of um, coming off the back of Mario, you know, he's done pretty well out of the back end of that. He has indeed. Give it a shot. Give the trailer a shot because I I just felt that it had some of that fun sardonic nature charm to it that the Garfield strip has always had. Well, well worth checking out, and it's got me excited for the film. We had the trailer for a new horror film, Imaginary, in which fictitious friends cause real problems, and that's from Bloomhouse. We had The Dead Boys Detective, uh, which is a Vertigo series uh, as part of the relationship Neil Gaiman has with Netflix. 
It's one of the offshoots from the Sandman universe. Looked interesting. Can't really tell what it's about yet unless you've read it to get the clearer idea. Uh, we had What If Season 2 trailer. Yes, we did. Which doesn't tell you much, but I... It doesn't give you much clues about what kind of what if stories we're delving into, but we see some images that makes you go, "Ooh, what do you think that is?" Such as, "Is that young Peter Quill after Yondu took him directly to Ego?" I think it is. Things went terribly wrong there, um, and that that trailer is most notable for the fact that it reveals that we are getting them one per day over the Christmas week, and that's oh, going to be a celebratory Marvel Christmas. Um, we got a new trailer for Godzilla Minus One, which the closer that our film gets, it's only a few weeks away yeah, now. Yeah, me too. Really excited about that. I get more and more excited for it. We got the trailer for Merry Little Batman, which brings Damian <laughs> Wayne home for Christmas. And of course, that is an animated comedy. When you see the shop, you'll understand why. And the surprise trailer for me this week is um, the new trailer for Rebel Moon. Because you'll remember okay, when no, the last trailer landed. You were a bit underwhelmed, weren't we? We were very underwhelmed because what we were seeing were like images lifted straight from Gladiator or a myriad of other films. But particularly, it was just like, oh, so this is grimy Star Wars because uh, it was just like light. Say it looked too Star Wars to be its own thing. This new trailer gives a bit more story. And now it's back to being Battle Beyond the Stars because it's, it's now the Magnificent Seven in space. And this is what we wanted. And yeah. I'm more on board with it again now. I'm, I'm so on board with it that I am definitely tempted during my week off when they've got those screenings in 70 mil down in london to jump on a train and go and watch it I, I think it look i think it could be something good as long as it doesn't become over bloated yes the trailer does have the usual Zack snyder slow motion moments in it as long as the film doesn't feel over bloated i think this could be a winner that's about it for this week's news but before we go we've got a sad passing from the movie world andy now, this is someone who you might not recognize the name of, but it's someone who you will certainly recognize their impact. And that's Roger Castell, who passed away age 92 after suffering from kidney and heart failure, passing away at the hospice facility in Massachusetts, according to his wife of 66 years, Grace. Who's Castell? Who is Castell? Every time that you've looked at the cover of a DVD, Blu-ray, or even just the movie poster in general of Jaws, you have identified Castell's work because he was the person who painted that instantly recognizable image of a swimmer uh, with a great white shark lurking below for the cover of Peter Benchley's 1974 novel that became the whole promotion for the movie going forwards. He also painted that beautiful original Empire Strikes Back poster art. Oh, which, really? Yeah, it's very Gone with the Wind inspired, the Empire Strikes Back poster, and it's still considered one of the most influential movie posters ever produced. Uh, he also worked on film posters, including the adaptation of Michael Crichton's The Great Train Robbery in 1978 and Dr. Faustus in 1967. And he did the cover of the first issue of the comic book, The Man of Bronze, Doc Savage. Uh, his paintings were used on numerous book covers, ranging from John Steinbeck's East of Eden to Jackie Collins's Hollywood Wives. Um, very prominent artist. Everyone at some point has pretty much bought at least something which had one of his images on it. A sad loss to the industry, a sad loss to the world. And that, folks... That's this week's The News. Um, Andy and I were joking that this should be the intermission and we should have some intermission-type music playing. Andy, we need some intermission-type music that plays over this bit. Hot dogs are available from our concession stand. <laughs> Just around the corner from this theatre. If you haven't done so so far, please 
sign up to the film file using your favorite podcast platform hit the subscription button and please leave a like what we're trying to do right now is build up our fan base build up our likes because the more people who listen the more we can do with the show so keep us in mind if you want to get in touch with the film file well that's easy as well you can get in touch with us via social media channels we're on most of the main social media channels search for film file uk there we are you can contact us directly via email podcast at filmfile.uk or smoke signals carry a pigeon carry a pigeon smoke signal morse code just get in touch with us any which way you can uh, we're always happy to engage with you we're always happy to chat to you if you meet us in public by all means feel free to come up and just say hi i like films and we'll go all right weirdo get away from me um <laughs> <laughs> depends where but then we'll realize why you came up to us and we'll engage with you and have some fun we'd we love to hear from you we love to share love of films just speak to us now it's time for this week's deep dive Yeah, we're going back to 1963. We're going back to November the 7th. Oh, a significant date, no doubt. To talk about one of the classic comedies of all time. We're going to be talking about It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Kramer has asked us to do a commercial for his new picture. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Now, there are four mads in the title, Ethel. We're all in the picture. Let's each hold up a mad and do it right. Here we go. Be sure and see. It's a mad, mad, mad. Wait a minute. Where's my mad? I'm one of the main stars of the picture. Never mind about you. What about oh, me? Oh, be quiet, little you, man. Come on. Don't get that get little man. Come on. Nerves. Be sure and see. It's a mad, mad. 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 How come he gets one of those and Sorry, I don't? Am I going to have trouble with he, you? You got trouble. You got seven people without Spencer Tracy. You only got four mad. Oh, oh shut up! Look, why don't we settle it this way? Why don't we just settle it in the justice of the justice of the, of the kind thing? Like, uh, you know, let's, let's go according to the people who have been on television. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> Ladies well, and gentlemen. Well, if that's the way you're going to play it, I'll take one for being a Broadway star, one for being a woman, and one for being a man. No, <laughs> this is not it. You're wrong. What? Wait, what are you doing? <laughs> came out in 1963 this is an epic of comedies it stars in no particular order spencer tracy milton burl sid caesar buddy hackett ethel merman mickey rooney dick sean phil silvers terry thomas the great jonathan winters and a whole slew of guest stars yep can you spot jerry lewis directed by stanley kramer and it's a classic uh, I was gifted this film uh, after the sad passing of my friend Keith Williams. And this was his all-time favorite film. And I kind of remembered it. It was one of those films that you used to see. You used to see at Christmas or, or any major holiday. And it's long. It's long by comparison to uh, how you would think of a comedy now. 90 minutes and you're in. This is 202 minutes. And that's the original cut. It is incredibly over the top. It is one of those films where it gets crazier and crazier as it goes through. So the story, after witnessing a dying man's confessions, the dying man being Jimmy Durante, hinting at hidden treasure below the W's, watch it and you'll find out what that is. A group of motorists turn against each other as part of their greed to try and find this treasure. If you've not seen it, you're in for a jolly good time. This is a film that I always forget that I've seen. I understand that. Every time that I see it pop up, I think, 
oh, I really need to get round to watching that film. I remember I got nominated for a few awards as well. So, you know, it, I can tick off my awards list and then I'll start watching it. And within five minutes, I'm like, I've seen this film. I've definitely seen this film, but I don't switch it off. I continue watching. I must have seen this about 14 times through my life as a result. <laughs> Each time going in thinking, I've not seen this film. And I don't know what it is, but I just kind of forget. And even this week on the run up to it, I thankfully, now that I log things on Letterboxd, at this time I went, have I seen this before? And it turns out I literally re-watched re it three months ago. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yes, I have seen it before very frequently, but I'd forgotten. But I still was tempted. If I had have had more time this week, because it, it has been a bit of a busy week for me, I would have sat and rewatched it again because as I was reflecting on last time I watched it, I remembered just chuckling away and and pretty much lasting the whole 202 minutes with a big beaming smile on my face. And that's rare for a comedy because like you say, that comedy is normally, particularly a comedy caper like this with where it's like a chase or a race, that you're looking at 90 minutes to 100 minutes maximum. I didn't jump onto this film at an early age because at an early age, for me, the comedy caper road movie was Cannonball Run or yeah. Smoking the Bandit. Which is inspired by it's a mad, yeah. mad, mad, mad world. So I discovered this, I think it must have been in the early teens when I first saw this pop up. It must have been on BBC because it does frequently pop up on BBC TV. And my mum had said, like, oh, we'll sit and watch this. And I remember as a child that I didn't realise how long it was. I just remember being swept up by it. And I didn't recognise the people in it because they didn't mean anything to me. But over the years, as I've become more and more immersed in movies and particularly watching older films and like seeing like the stars and legends of yesteryear on screen every revisit of this opens my eyes to oh my god they're in it as well because like you said like there's there's the the strong like main cast that you've already mentioned but the supporting cast is literally everyone who is everyone you've got buster yeah. keaton's in there you've, yeah, got, Don you've got arnold stang you've got carl rayner you've got Sterling paul Ford. Holloway. Oh, Norman that... Fell, uh, Peter Falk, Carl, <laughs> you said Carl Rayner, so many, and you, you, and they are literally they they turn up and you go, oh, oh, look, it's such and such, but but what a cast, and and it kind of inspired this sort of screwball comedy that came after it, where you do have these these big name stars all playing basically little vignettes. I mean the 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 story the storyline is is really simple after they find that there is this money and they're ex uh, told where it is these these motorists who've stopped to help just fail to negotiate a way to split the money if they'd only talked it through each one of them could have been rich but the four cars begin this sort of mad dash to get to the park in Santa in Santa Rosita and they just have mishap after mishap it's comedy of errors as they become increasingly more greedy, the film becomes more silly and more enjoyable as it goes through. And as you said, you've got Spencer Tracy who plays a cop who looks like he's going to be the good guy and he's just as greedy as everybody else. Um, the great Phil Silvers, I anything with Phil Silvers in. Yeah. It's my favourite Carry On movie, Carry On, Follow That Camel, because it's Phil Silvers. Uh, Buddy Hackett, Sid Caesar, the bit with Sid Caesar when they're trapped in the basement and they're trying to blow their way out of the <laughs> or it's just ridiculous. They used Terry real Thomas dynamite as well, um, which oh, surprised they? quite a few of the cast that any explosions were done using real dynamite. There's so many moments in it that there was multiple takes. Uh, one example is, isn't it the when the 
dynamiters bouncing down the stairs. There was like 86 takes in order to get the whole thing right. Such was the attention to detail. Sid Caesar, for me, is every time that he's popped up in a film, as I've got expanded my knowledge of films through the years, Sid Caesar has always become someone who always brings his A-game and always brings something unique to it. I love his comic charm. I love his comic approach. I love the facial expressions that he comes up with of shock, surprise, or, oh, dejection. Uh, He's brilliant. And this is one thing that's good about this kind of, Comedy Caper and Mad, 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 Mad World does it so well, is that all the main players are so very different that you will find someone who you latch onto and want to be the victor at the end. So there's that reason for you to stick with it. You've swept up in all the antics going on because you're rooting for this one person. Even if you've picked the wrong person, you don't care. You're still rooting for them. I love the energy that this film has. The stunts are crazy. There's some wild over-the-top stunts in here. I did read somewhere that apparently at the time of making it, there was only about 100 stunt performers in the whole of the US industry for film, and 80 of them worked on this film alone. I'm not surprised because even up to the very, very last minute with the uh, uh, when they're in the building and they're on the on the ladders from the fire truck. <laughs> it's, it's funny because that's the scene that I remembered the most watching it. That was the one that was ingrained into my memory. And then I went, oh, ooh, the flying sequence. Oh, and then there's, you, you, and then you do that. You go, oh, and then there's such and such a scene and such and such a scene. You've got the fantastic and, and ridiculously unnerving dance that Dick Sean does and his girlfriend, who's this sort of surfer boy, which is slightly, slightly unnerving. Great Dick Sean. There are so many people in this in, for you to say in every sequence, oh, it's the great such and such. Um, one of the legacies of this film is it was promoted to be the first film made in one projector, Cinerama, which mm. originally Cinerama, the process required three separate cameras, uh, three process reels were projected, uh, synchronized on a huge curved screen. And it was originally planned for three cameras, Cinerama but it was the first one projector Cinerama. And it was one of those gimmicks like Super Panavision that came out during the 60s or Ultra Panavision 70mm, like films like Battle of the Bulge or Cartoon or The Greatest Story Ever Told or even 2001, A Space Odyssey, were all 70mm. So the, the print, no matter where you see it, it looks amazing. And I would love to have seen it in Cinerama. Apparently, Jack Benny's cameo, was originally supposed to be Stan Laurel. Okay. They made the offer out to Stan Laurel. But in 1957, after Oliver Hardy passed away, Laurel vowed never to perform again. He'd lost his longtime partner uh, on stage and screen, and he stuck to his promise, and that's the reason why he didn't pop up. And I did find a nice bit of trivia that I now want to rewatch the film, even though I've said like I've only recently rewatched it. Milton Berle always made sure that whenever there was a group scene, he was the last one in shot. He would wait for the rest to walk off set before he walks off set. He would sometimes find ways to improvise, you know, doing some task like writing something down or jostling with something in order to stay on set when he's not supposed to be there, just so he could always be the last person in frame. And <laughs> now I want to rewatch it just to yeah, see me too. every moment when he does this. Uh, it, there was a lot of improvisation on the set of this. There was a script that was kind of worked with. Apparently there was two scripts, one which was for all the action and one which was for all the comedy. But they were all suggest, like encouraged and suggested to you know, play with the ideas, have fun, joke with each other, banter, 
we'll film it and if it works it'll stay in the film and you get that feeling from it because here is a great bunch of comical names all riffing on a great idea and that's why it holds together for its whole 202 minutes because i think if it had just stuck to a script it might have grown tired but allowing these performers to just perform and do what they do best it keeps the energy all the way to the end i can understand people who've not seen this because they've seen the runtime and gone ah but genuinely this is one that the runtime flies by and even at the end of it you've still got a big beaming smile and still think to yourself i'd like to see more i'll agree it was originally going to be titled something a little less serious because director stanley kramer is generally known for rather hard-hitting social message kind of films and this was him basically saying i can do comedy as well and you know what stanley kramer can certainly deliver comedy and action in one film if you watch this, you find, as Andy said, the characters who you're going to root for. But keep in mind that nobody is really sympathetic in this film. No. And everyone <laughs> kind of gets their just desserts. Even the characters that you think are going to be the ones that you'll root for, or who should get the money, ultimately, they're all pretty despicable. And that's what makes it fresh. That's what makes it different. Yes, the huge stunts. Yes, the fact that it's... Uh, it's it's a vignette of movies. You know, you, you you stick with one character, you jump to another one. And because of that element, it never feels as though it drags. Interestingly enough, on the re-released Blu-ray version, there is an intermission, exactly like there would be in the film. And it just helps you get up, make a cup of tea, stretch your legs and go back to it and talk about it. Fantastic idea. Um, we should have an intermission in, in the show, Andy. On its intermission screening, on its world premiere, Um, this film, the cinema that was screening it, while the intermission was on, they had mock radio news broadcasts talking about what all of the characters were up to, either on the lead up to the intermission or during the intermission so that when people came back, they could jump straight back in. And it wasn't just playing within the theatre itself. It was playing outside the theatre in the concession stand and even out towards the streets so that people were like, what's going on in there Uh, and i think that's a great bit of publicity and marketing and it'd be interesting if those recordings were ever to be recovered and to be included on that intermission on the blu-ray release it's a great film it's one that i like i say i always forget that i've watched it but then when i watched it i spent two days telling people oh have you seen this you should watch it this is now it being put down as legacy that i can now go back to this show and remind myself that i've seen this film so many times (laughs) well worth checking out yeah, it's it's one of those films that uh, it, it launched that kind of ensemble cast movie uh, and especially the comedic search for money. There was going to be mm. a sequel, but then there was a film called Scavenger Hunt in 1979, The Million Dollar Mystery in 1987. Remember that one where the, I think you, you got the clues and you could find the million dollars yes. out of it. And then Rat Race in 2001, which is not particularly very good or very funny and does bear more than one gag uh, reminiscent of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Check it out. Um, give yourself an entire evening. Order a meal while it's on because <laughs> you can do that. It's that kind of film. And Andy, if we do want to watch it, and we insist that you do, where can you find It's a Mad, 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 Mad World? It very frequently pops up on BBC TV around the Christmas, Christmas time. So it, it might pop on there within the next month. However, in the meantime, if you want to, if you subscribe to MGM, then you can get it as part of the package on there. If not, you can rent it for £3.50-ish 
to £4, or you can buy it for about £6 on streaming. Or just treat yourself to the treat yourself to the DVD or Blu-ray release where there's various extras in there. Well worth checking out. We'll be back again next week with another deep dive. And now it's time for this week's reviews. So, Andy, get the ball rolling. Tell us what you thought about Saltburn. Home doesn't mean the same for me as it does for you. Why don't you come home with me? Come to Saltburn. Follow me. And here he is now. I have a complete and utter horror of ugliness. I don't know why. Because you're a terrible person. Don't be mean. Your family's so kind to me. You're just a stranger. That's just giving me goosebumps. Look, Pamela. Oh, no. Written and directed by Emerald Fennell, Saltburn is a psychological thriller with darkly comical undertones that sees Oliver Quick, played by Barry Keoghan, starting at Oxford University, but struggling to fit in with the social elite crowds there. Oliver's poor background and social awkwardness mean that he feels like an outcast until he loans his bike to a popular and charming rich student named Felix, played by Jacob Elordi. Over the course of the university year, the pair become close, much to the annoyance of Felix's cousin, Farley, played by Archie Madikway, and Oliver finds himself invited to stay at the family's Saltburn mansion over the summer. There, he discovers Felix's family and all their eccentricities and quirks, with the film pretty soon unravelling into a dark exploration of the class divide, with Oliver being warned that he is just a toy for Felix and that Felix will tire of him, as twisted games of manipulation seemingly play out with Ollie becoming more and more obsessed with the dashing fellow student. Saltburn is led by Keoghan, who has proven himself in a solid range of support roles in years, but here finds himself positioned front and centre, and he more than delivers from the start. Admittedly, I personally found it easier to connect with him as a central player in those early scenes, seeing aspects of my own social awkwardness when I was a student entering a new city to study, with no one around me to seemingly connect with. In addition, Actually being from the exact same town on Merseyside as Oliver is coming from gave me a unique point of reference, making his backstory feel somewhat relatable. Admittedly, as the film plays out, I stopped seeing aspects of myself reflected in Oliver, but that initial starting point gave me a jump on. And so within the first five minutes of the film starting, I was totally immersed, lost in this dark, twisted tale and the manipulations that are playing out on screen. Keoghan mesmerises, chills, engages and surprises throughout the film with a role that warrants attention. Jacob Elordi is dashingly roguish and complicated in the role of Felix, a character that we deliberately can't quite get a handle on, sometimes seemingly honest and charming, whilst other times being casually dismissive. His nature becomes understandable when we get to meet his family at the Saltburn estate, Richard E. Grant as the eccentric yet distant head of the house, Sir James Catton, while Rosamund Pike plays Felix's mother, Lady Ellsworth Catton, warm and caring, but again with a touch of distance. Alison Oliver plays Felix's promiscuous sister, Venetia, who starts her own manipulations of Oliver pretty swiftly after his arrival. This home environment, along with a slew of serving staff and random guests, feels so out of time and cold at moments, and that it serves to explain Felix's occasional distance. Fennell uses the grand design of the mansion marvellously, showcasing the opulence on display as excessive and perhaps outdated, yet occasionally is lent a warm intimacy and comfort. The choice to use the almost box-like 1.33 to 1 aspect ratio forces us to feel like spies were secretly viewing the exchanges that are taking place, and it never allows our eyes to wander from the intended focus. 
The characters that Fennell's crafted are drawn up in such a way to allow us to see past the initial perceptions of who they are and view the layers below the surface, allowing unlikable characters to become more human and likable characters become darker as the story plays out. Yes, in the final act, Fennell awkwardly feels like she has to over-explain earlier events with a barrage of flashbacks of things that were actually quite straightforward when you think about them, if you were paying attention. But this is a minor niggle, as the film swept me up and carried me along to those final moments, which, without spoilers, has to be one of the most surprising uses of a Sophie Ellis Bexter song to date. Saltburn is an amusing and dark exploration of opulence and desire, and it's worth seeing for the stunning central performance of Keoghan alone, but successfully delivers on all aspects around him, and it's a strong contender for my end-of-year top five list. We're going to move to the smaller screen, but a lot of big picture for the small screen. Andy and I are going to tell you all about Apple TV's Monarch Legacy of the Monsters. I don't know if this will get to you. I hope so. I can't go back in time and fix all the mistakes I made. But maybe I could leave something for the future. A legacy. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. Hopes, dreams, ambitions. The mission was to protect their world and ours. It's what we wanted Monarch to be. Instead of chasing monsters. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Well, I'll tell you what, Andy, for a TV show about Godzilla, I was expecting that one fleeting shot of a monster per episode, and that would be it, because, you know, budget. But in yeah. a TV series that's got Kurt Russell as one of the leads, who we've not seen so far in episode one, boy, this was big. This was very big. Uh, it's set in the universe that started with Godzilla. And then we add uh, Godzilla versus King Kong, uh, Godzilla Legacy of... Uh, there's been so many. It's set in yeah. that universe. Um, but I, I, I can't believe how epic it was. Mm. Yeah, and it hits the ground running with a nod to Kong Skull Island uh, before it, sti- it, it switches back and forth in time frame to the early days of Monarch, the current days, and somewhere in between. As we were getting told the history of the Monarch organization and their influence on like knowledge of giant monsters up to the present day where the events of Godzilla's rampage through San Francisco are very significant to the lives of the key players within this film. Yeah, like you said, you expect with a TV series, we'll get like, oh, a quick 10 second glance at a monster and that's all that you get. And whilst this series is mainly looking at the human condition and the focus and the family aspects the monsters are very, very much present throughout. Some of the shots look a bit similar. Um, so they've basically just taken, because there's the attack on San Francisco and there's a Godzilla yeah. smashing through the Golden Gate Bridge that we've seen. 
but now we're seeing it from another character's perspective. And whilst the image of him going through the gate is like Golden Gate Bridge is the same, there's just that small change to it towards the end of it when he seems to turn. That it's like that's the additional bit. So that the smartly using pre-existing footage with the new content in order to make sure that the monsters are very heavily promoted through this whole whole episode. And the first two episodes lasted on Apple, and it got to the end of episode one with such a proper shock moment that it makes you just go, I need the second episode right now. And I jumped straight into the second episode and got to the end okay. of that. And now I've, now I've got to wait week on week for the next few next episodes. And this is going to be the most painful waiting for the next episode of something because it is so well made. It is solid drama with a monster environment. And it has world built this monarch realm better than anything else could. What I thought was really good, though, is like I tried to look at it from if I'd never seen the Godzilla film or the King Kong film, etc., would I feel lost? And I don't think I would, because I think it does a really good job of introducing a new bunch of characters who are linked to the older characters. But it's telling the story more or less from scratch, as though you're someone who doesn't know anything about it. And it works on both levels. You can be a huge fan of those Godzilla and Kong films already. And so you'll be looking for the nods and references. But you could be a newcomer to this and still find yourself drawn into the, the human drama. And that's what makes all the Godzilla films so good, is they're always about the human drama in the middle of these crises. Yeah, I think Matt Shackman, who directed it formerly of uh, Division and the upcoming Fantastic Four, kept it feeling very grounded. It was less green screen than mm. some of the big movies have. It had a, a real world setting, which, of course, works better for, for television. But it was the scope of it that I was really impressed. Yes, we've got the fantastic bit of stunt casting in Father and Son, Kurt and Wyatt Russell both playing uh, Monarch military guy, Lee Shaw at different ages, uh, and both proving that they're just so charismatic on screen. But it never shied away that this is a monster show uh, with that scope, and it fits the small screen perfectly. In fact, it made me more excited now for the alien tv series because if it works as well as this then i can see mm. how they can do it looking forward to the rest of the series and seeing where it's going to go and i'm looking for more and more surprises i've only seen episode one so far i'm going to do it as a weekly drop the only disappointment with this is that it looks so epic and cinematic that the small screen doesn't do it enough justice yeah don't watch it on your phone I would love to watch these on a cinema screen because maybe you could rent a cinema and we show them, Andy. It's just, got just the production saying. values of a of a film. It look it doesn't look cheap, and this is what Apple TV Plus do so well with their series. They don't make them feel like they're just made for TV. They feel just as huge and epic as what a big screen outing would be. Well worth checking out. Well worth subscribing to Apple TV Plus for. Thoroughly recommend Monarch. It's got me excited for the Godzilla versus Kong sequel next year all over again. Staying with TV, let's talk about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. I had a dream about that girl again. I didn't care the first time you told me. I care even less now. Toronto, Canada. Not too long ago. Hey. Wanna go out sometime? You wanna go on a date with me? Ramona Flowers has seven evil exes, all of whom you must defeat in order to date her. What? Let's party. 
So this is not a remake, nor is it a reboot. I'd say this is a remix. So it's not a remix of uh, 2010's Edgar Wright movie, or it's not just a, a pure adaptation of the Brian O'Malley comic. This is anime taken on to a new level, I thought. Yes. I've binged all of this. So I oh, really? know that it's not a remake, it's not a reboot, it's not a rethinking, it's something else. But I'm not yeah. going to say, because um, it, how it plays out towards the latter episodes, it all makes sense as to where it fits. Anyone who went into this expecting a direct adaptation of the comic book or the film are in for a huge surprise. Even though both O'Malley and Wright have been absolutely clear throughout the production of this that this will not be the same story that you've already seen. They've made it specific all the way through that it won't be the same story. So when the first episode plays out and it feels so very familiar, you've got the same setup, you've got the same introduction of Ramona, you've got the same build-up to that first fight with Matthew Patel. And that's the point at which it finishes the first episode with a huge shock twist that makes you sit up and go, what's just happened? And the clue is in the title. Scott Pilgrim takes off. We should have known all along what was going to be happening. And what plays out on the episodes afterwards is a really, really unique and fascinating way to re-explore the whole aspects of Ramona and Scott's relationship from a different perspective. And it gets a chance to build up some history and some background to the evil exes. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. We get to find out who they are as a person and start to realise anyone who's watched the Scott Pilgrim film or read the Brian O'Malley original comic who didn't get the whole point that these people were evil because Ramona breaks hearts. She always walks away from people. She'll be best friends with someone or love someone, but then it's her who always goes off because she's a wild force of energy. Anyone who didn't get that was missing the fact that the evil exes aren't necessarily evil. And it's great to see that explored in this um, animation because we actually start to care for the evil exes and it's a fascinating way to take it the animation style is done in a sort of anime style and looks great for it mm. you've got to talk about the return of the cast from edgar wright scott pilgrim movie unsurprisingly the cast remains fantastic bring in yeah. energy and enthusiasm and that word we like to bandy about here at the film file charm uh, that made the movie stand out so it, it, it builds more layers than more than the original film did. There's some nice touches within within the series. You've got um, some voice cameos from a range of names. My favourites being Simon Pegg and Nick Frost crop up in one or two episodes. Unsurprisingly. As security guards. You are, I also like the touches that pretty much every episode, I think there's only one that doesn't do it, has the same animated sequence, but done with different colours of Ramona changing her hair colour. And it's a nice little, it's a nice little repetitive theme that runs through the whole thing, that every time it starts, it's like, what's she going for this time? And then you go, okay, that's her energy, this this episode. And it does kind of reflect her energy on the episodes, how she's coloured her hair. I had fun. And I'm going I'm looking forward to sitting and re-watching it again because I had so much fun with it. I, I know that looking online, I know that a load of people are whining and crying about how they, which they're generally referring to Netflix, have destroyed the film comic for what they see as woke issues. But, those people who are complaining appear to have missed a few things. First of all, they, Netflix, had nothing to do with the creation of this. Brian O'Malley had full creative control, and I'm pretty sure that Netflix were probably expecting a direct adaptation of the graphic novel. They weren't expecting this. 
This was Brian O'Malley's re-exploration of the characters that he created. The clue, like I said, is right there in the title. And finally, the other thing that these people are clearly missing is the remaining episodes after episode one, because if you make all your judgments based on that first episode, you've missed the whole point. This is something that benefits watching the whole series, and then it casts a whole new light across the whole thing. For those who have only watched a few episodes, stick with it, get to the end, and then get back to us and let us know what you thought of the whole thing. Because for me, who binged the whole lot in one go, I thought it came together well. And it was a really good re-exploration of the Scott Pilgrim themes from O'Malley and Wright. And finally, just a, a slight review, really, of the return of Invincible Series 2. So created by Robert Kirkman, the first series played out on Amazon. And in a world now where there is really no shortage of super beings on screen, this feels still feels fresh and different. So we've got Invincible, the teenage character of the title uh, mark grayson played by steve Yoon, still has well daddy issues which you can't blame him for for the fact that his father in season one turned out to be the big villain yes omni-man a kind of superman from this particular universe turns out to be the person who basically betrays not only mark his wife uh, debbie played by sandra O, oh, and destroys chicago along with it this is a very very different kind of superhero story it follows all the tropes it has elements of superman it has elements of spider-man the fact that the plot threads and the characters are all about a looming catastrophe so invincible's second season so far is just as good as season one uh, a different way to watch superheroes it's gorgeously animated wonderfully performed and it overflows with witty one-liners and some really brutal action if you've not watched season one, don't jump in. Start there, get into it. Because if you like, a bit like the boys, your superheroes to be a bit more bold, a little bit more bloody, then this is an impressive series. Can't wait to carry on with the series. More than one episode's dropped right now, but I'm watching it week by week because that's how I want to enjoy this show because I want to savour it. With so many characters been pummeled and disemboweled on screen this is a great way to talk about superheroes in a very different and fresh way available now on prime video so that's what we're reviewing andy what's due out in the next week so at cinemas this coming week uh, two films that are on my radar to watch first of all napoleon opens well by the time this episode lands it should be on your doorsteps ridley scott's new epic and I'm quite looking forward to Disney's Wish that lands at cinemas this weekend. Oh, that seems to have crept out of nowhere. Yeah, there's not been a lot of buzz and marketing, but this is, again, the strike, meaning that people can't be talking about things, has kind of stymied a lot of marketing for everything up until now when things can start up. Uh, Love Actually gets his 20th anniversary reissue for those people who are desperate enough to watch a piece of trash at the cinema. And The Eternal Daughter and Maestro also round off for smaller cinematic releases over on now tv and sky two treats this week you know how i've been mocking all the christmas releases that have been coming to streaming well this week people can treat themselves to violent night which landed at cinemas last year i absolutely loved it's die hard with santa get yourself watching that and also one one film that is dangerously close to being in my top five for the year bo is afraid lands on sky tv this week 
over on Netflix. <laughs> I've seen them so many times, but I'm going to rewatch them again when they all land on Netflix. Batman, the animated series, all oh, episodes will drop on there from the 90s. Obviously, well-placed as production is hopefully moving ahead with the uh, reinterpretation of the Batman character. Um, and Leo, an animated movie about Leo the Lizard, which is voiced by Adam Sandler, holds barely, barely any interest to me. Over on Amazon, Ronnie O'Sullivan, The Edge of Everything, documentary looking at the life of the legendary snooker player. And on Apple TV+, Plus, The Velveteen Rabbit lands. And for those people who want a bit of Christmassy show goodness, Hannah Waddingham has Home for Christmas. It's one of those, like, remember, remember the old style celebrities? Yeah, Bing Crosby type thing. Everybody comes over to yours at Christmas. It's Hannah Waddingham doing one of them. You know what? It's Hannah Waddingham. And that's us done for this week. Thank you for spending your time with the film file. But, you know, before we go, we'll tell you about our neat thing. Stuff that we've enjoyed. Stuff that we want to share with you. Andy, your neat thing for this week is... This week, my neat thing is spending money. Okay. As we know, we're at that time of year when the Black Friday deals all start off. And everyone flocks to get a bargain. Now, this is the time of year that I always look for one particular bargain. That's for me gaming on my PlayStation. The PlayStation 5 Sony deals at the moment are fantastic. If you've not got a PlayStation 5, now is the time to pick one up. hundred Up to £130 off, uh, depending on which edition you get. Well worth snagging a good bargain there. But plus, there's also deals on retailers and online with up to 30% off on a lot of things and some games like 50 to 80 percent off but the one that i always look forward to this time of year for my playstation plus subscription which i do the premium one so i get the free movies etc etc which is well worth the price that you asked for anyway that's 30 percent off at the moment up until the end of this month and at the same time over on shop two or other retailers you can get the playstation store credits for a discount price so I can, instead of spending like almost £140 for a yearly subscription, it ends up working out that I spend about £96 because of the multiple deals that I combine. I'll buy the discounted PlayStation Store credit cards, add them onto me PlayStation Store network, and then take advantage of the PlayStation Plus discount option that they've got at the moment and save myself a fortune of money. If you're hesitant about you know subscribing to PlayStation Plus Essentials or Premium, the upper tier ones, Now's the time that you can get them at such a discount price that it's pretty much what you were paying anyway for the yearly subscriptions to the normal PlayStation Plus. So it's worth using it even just for a six-month period. Get yourself one of the six-month top-ups just to test the waters and see whether there's stuff there. Because for me, the wealth of additional games that you get on the upper tiers makes it beneficial. But particularly on the premium, it's the movies that have brought us a neat thing a few weeks ago. Um, that are being added on there that adds that extra value to it all and using the black friday deals that sony are doing is a perfect time to jump on board whether you're a playstation gamer who needs to get a console now's the time to do it there's a game that you've had your eye on for a while now's the time to get it there's a deal that you've been looking forward to adding to a subscription now is the time to do it black friday deals every year from sony are always a neat thing Brilliant. I'll check those out. Uh, my neat thing, I'm going back into the world of comics. I think I mentioned book one of Human Target as one of my previous neat things. And now I've had chance to read book two, uh, written by Tom King, who is quickly becoming one of my favorite comic book writers. He, he's one of those writers who um, digs into the toy box and mm. pulls out toys that 
people haven't played with for an awful long time. So he always brings something fresh to the story. And here he's basically done a play on the movie DOA and that sort of noirish feel. In fact, the artwork by fantastic artwork by Greg Smallwood has a real 60s kind of almost like a Matt Helm, if you know what I mean, sort of feel to it. People drinking out of martini glasses and stylized furniture in a way that doesn't exist anymore. So the human target, for those who don't know, is Christopher Chance, who makes a living out of being a human target, uh, a kind of man for hire who disguises himself as his clients to invite would-be assassination attempts to attempt to murder him. However, in his remarkable career, he goes up protecting Lex Luthor, and then things go south from there. He averts the assassination attempt only to find that he, instead of Lex, has been poisoned and only has 12 days to discover who in the DC universe hated Luther enough uh, to want him dead. It's one of those hard-boiled, gritty, uh, noir stories, classic detective. There's uh, an icy blonde literally in the form of Ice, one of the Justice League. It's just very clever stuff. As I said, Tom King has a style. This could nearly be as good as his masterpiece, Mr. Miracle. And over the 12 issues, we get closer and closer to discovering who wants Lex Luthor and in turn the human target dead. Fantastic stuff. Finally got round to book two. Loved it. Highly recommended, as is all of Tom King's writing. Yeah. That's us done. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another deep dive. And you know what? Another film file. Andy, any big plans for the next week? You know, I don't have plans. I'm, I live live for the moment. I'm sporadic. I'm impulsive. I'm a ball of energy waiting to explode. That was very poetic of me. Uh, no, no, no major plans over the next week, except for it's just Napoleon that got me let me eye out for. So I'm going to be watching that before work on Wednesday. Great way to start my day. This is what I've tended to do recently is uh, I'll tend to, if I'm on like a mid shift, I'll watch a film before I start at 12 o'clock and just have a long day of it. it. It's a great way to start off a shift at a cinema, watch a film come out and just be full of that energy that you've got from watching something on the big screen i couldn't agree more so we'll see you again next week thank you as ever for joining us but there's no rush we just want to get there in a hurry you want me to do it you want me to say <laughs> stick around i did yeah <laughs> stick around <laughs> awesome come with us now as we explore the mysteries of my underwear Oh, what's that from? I, I don't know because he didn't put. I, this is the thing I have to research everything whenever people put things that I don't know. Lip smacking, thirst quenching, ace tasting, motivating, good buzzing, cool talking, high walking, fast living, never giving, cool fizzing, Pepsi. Anyway, um... <laughs> Skull King Island, King Island, Skull Kong Island, is it? Skull Kong, Kong Island, Island. <laughs> Skull Island, Kong. You tell me. <laughs> Oh, just island, shot, Kong, skull. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Spock. 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 <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll do. That'll do. But there's a there quote that I use a lot. <laughs> yeah, and the other one you, you started doing, I was going to point it out, which was, uh, uh, I'm a loner. I'm a loner, daddy. <laughs> a rebel. <laughs> I'm just constantly coming out with quotes. I can't help it. It's just who I am. <laughs>